As you remain standing, let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? That's the question we have been exploring in the book of Philippians. Last week, after laying out who the believer in Jesus is made to be, Paul exhorted his audience to set aside unholy ambitions and live as a people united to Christ and to one another. It is a life that is formed in Christ-like humility. To bring that point home for us, Paul writes a beautiful description of the heart of Christ, of who he truly is. Became known as the Christ hymn. Leading into that, he writes... Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look each of you not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now these would be wise words for any to follow. But Paul shows that humility is central to the ongoing life of the church. Have this mind among yourselves, he writes. We are to have the humble mind of Christ, whose very nature and actions in the world reveal an extravagant and even costly humility. As we are called to follow Christ in this world, so are we to have that same heart. And so this morning, we're going to unpack a little bit this beautiful hymn, this beautiful Christ hymn, this heart of humility. We're going to look at what it means to have this mind of Christ. Where do we see this extravagant, costly humility? Why on earth would we want it? (laughs) And how do we get it? Paul shows us the greatness of Jesus' humility by showing us who Jesus is. Now remember, Paul started this epistle by showing the church, the people in Philippi, who they are because of Jesus. And he's begun to show them how they are to live in the light of that new identity that he has given them. And now... He is going to take some time to show just what is so amazing about this one who has made them one. What is it about Jesus? The absolute truth is that Jesus is entirely unique. There has never nor will there ever be anyone like Jesus. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It's beautiful words, but what on earth do they mean? What is Paul saying here? Well, put simply, if we want to summarize, he's saying Jesus is God. When we say form here, it means substance, nature. Or as the, the book of Hebrews states, Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. The Greek in this passage makes it even more explicit because a more, a more literal translation here would be who, though he existed in the form of God. Existed in the form of God. This existence happened before Jesus ever set foot on this planet. Before he came as a man. He existed pre-birth as God himself. Now I want to be clear about something, just so we're not confused. There is no one else who has ever existed pre-birth, just to be clear. It's not like we were all kind of hanging up in heaven, waiting for God to point at us and say, okay, now it's your time to go. That's not the way it works. There's only one who has ever existed before they were born, and that is Jesus. It is not something a person can do, only God. So if that's true... If we believe Paul's words here, then we must believe that Jesus is himself God. Nothing less than that. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a moral leader. He's not just a good example that we should all strive to live by. He is the Son of God. God come in the flesh. As a church, we can never lose our grip on that. Whenever the church lets go of the true nature of Christ, everything else will fall apart. It may not happen overnight, but it will happen. To lose Jesus is to cease to be a Christian. It's that simple. And as we minimize him, as we make him something less than God himself, as we say things like, oh, he's just one of the many ways to find God, we put ourselves in opposition to him and everything he had to say about himself. And so the church must always be unwavering in this conviction that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God come in the flesh. He is Lord, and there is no other. As God the Son, all things were created through and for him. He himself is worthy of all praise and worship, and yet, Paul writes and tells us, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? Well, he did not use what was rightfully his. All honor, prestige, privileges, all the things that were owed to him, he did not claim them for himself, but rather, Paul continues, he emptied himself. 
by taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men. And when we read emptied here, what we don't want to come to the conclusion, what conclusion we don't want is that Paul is saying he ceased to be God, that he removed his divinity. That's not what happened here. There was never and never will be a time when Jesus ceased to be God. Rather, what Paul is saying is that Jesus, though he is rightfully owed all the privileges of his divinity, all the worship and honor, he put all of that aside so that he could come for us. He took on the likeness of men. He literally became a man. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. It is the truth that changes all other truths. It is the truth that makes life worth living. And just think about this for a moment. God himself comes as a man. The one for whom and by whom literally everything exists. The one who is himself the purpose and force behind all creation He set all of that aside to become a man. We, his creatures, we get our backs up and annoyed any time even the smallest thing we think we deserve is taken from us. And yet here is Jesus saying, I'm going to put all my divine prerogatives aside, all for you. That is extravagant humility. Perfect, extravagant humility. And what's more, he humbled himself even further. He didn't stop at just coming as a man. Paul writes, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God the Son followed the will of God the Father Perfectly, He was perfectly obedient to him. And so he humbled himself in that perfect obedience to suffer the most humiliating death that he possibly could in that era. See, something we don't often realize in our day and age, because praise the Lord, we don't crucify people anymore. Crucifixion wasn't simply about killing a person. If that was the goal, if all you wanted was the person dead, there were far more efficient ways of doing it. And believe me, the Romans knew plenty. Crucifixion was about the display. It was about the humiliation. It was about people seeing the condemned, stripped and beaten, left hanging there so that all who could walk by could see one who has been completely broken and seemingly defeated. That was the point. It was a form of killing that was meant to break the will just as much as it was meant to break the body. It is a level of humiliation that, thankfully, none of us are likely ever to experience. And yet, that is what Jesus, God himself, 
was willing to take upon himself. And we haven't even got into the spiritual reality of what was happening to him on the cross as all the sins of the world were laid upon him. We can get locked into the physical torture. Imagine feeling the weight of all sin for all eternity upon yourself. Praise the Lord, you don't have to. He did it for you. The God of all heaven and earth set aside his divine rights to die the most humiliating death, all so that those who put him there, both physically and spiritually, might be redeemed. He went through that. He became sin for us. He took the curse of sin and death for us. He humiliated himself to the point of death so that we might be redeemed. That is how humble and obedient and self-sacrificing our Savior is. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul writes. Have that mind among yourselves. If we claim to follow Jesus, are we willing to follow him in such a way? Are we, the people of God, willing to set aside our perceived rights and privileges for the sake of serving the one that Christ has put in front of us? Will we hold our convictions by faith, unwavering in our knowledge of who Christ is, but present him in such a way that we don't hammer people with Jesus, but we invite them to know him in humility? One commentator pointed out, if Christ was willing to take off royal robes and put on a servant's towel to die for us, how can we say that the call to serve any others for his sake is beneath us? When Paul tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition, when he tells us to look upon others as more significant as ourselves, he does not do so just because it's good life advice. He does it Because that is who Christ is. Because that is what he did for us and far more. To have the mind of Christ is to look upon those that God has made in his image and be willing to serve them and walk with them even if they don't fit the type. Even if they have done nothing to earn that level of loyalty or support. Even if all they seem to do is reject you. Friends, Jesus didn't do all of this. He didn't set aside his divine privileges because we put in the work to make it worth his while. Now, as Paul himself says, we were by nature children of wrath, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We didn't do so much that Jesus was like, yeah, now you got it, now I'll come. All right, you convinced me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if that is the case, why would the people of God not serve others in the same way? 
If that is the life that our Savior, our Lord, our Master, our King lived, why would we not do the same? The glory of God is shown by the people of God being willing to reflect the heart of God and showing extravagant humility. What might it be like if the people of God spent their lives asking others, not what can you do for me or how dare you, but how can I serve you? You ever explicitly asked someone that and seen their face? It's not a question we get asked a lot. And I will freely admit that it is not my initial impulse. I am a sinner redeemed by grace. And so when I, <laughs> when I interact with some, the last thing I want to do is serve them. The last thing I want to do is show grace and humility, but when the Spirit of God slows us down, we're left wondering, how did that person end up where they are? Why are they reacting the way I am? Why am I reacting the way that I am? What's causing all of this? What's behind the, the anger? What's behind this wounding that it seems like the church caused? What's behind this even anger that people can display towards Jesus himself? What's going on? Those are different sorts of questions, aren't they? And when we ask them, it begins to help us in humility. It helps us to have humility and grace towards that person and not dig in our heels, which might be our nature. It certainly is mine. Those are questions that reflect the humility of Christ himself. And the humility doesn't even end there. Because <laughs> even when glory is given to Jesus... He gives it away. Paul tells us that Christ in perfect obedience and humility followed the will of the Father to death. And because of that, the Father has exalted him. Right? That's the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. That our honor is found not in fighting, but in following. Jesus is exalted. All of creation worships him and declares him as Lord. And everything he laid down is restored to him precisely because he laid it down. And then as verse 11 tells us, he did it all for the glory of God the Father. That even the glory that is given to Jesus, he gives away to the glory of the Father. Jesus never stops giving. He never stops acting in humility. Now imagine for a second, if that is the mind of Christ, and Paul is calling us to live the mind of Christ, what would it look like if the people of God never stopped giving? Never stopped blessing? Never stopped serving? You know what the response would be? Not way to go church. It would be, praise my soul, the King of heaven. The glory wouldn't go to us, it'd go to him where it should be. Would we be willing to serve others in such a way?
to see the name of Jesus glorified. So what do we do now? <laughs> what's, the, what's the point of all this? I mean, I've, I've just told you, go be humble. Go live out the mind of Christ. And if you're not doing it, you failed, go work harder. Dig a little deeper. You'll find it. No, that's not how this works. That's how we can often talk about life with Jesus, though, isn't it? That we just keep striving to do better and to do more. And one day it'll just sort of click. And then Jesus will say, now you got it. Who thrives in that life? Not us. We turn life with Jesus into a giant millstone when it's actually the greatest of joys. So what do we do? Well, we start by realizing that having the mind of Christ is a gift. And that if you believe in Jesus, you have been given that gift. The only way to have the mind of Christ is to know him. The only way to know him is to fix your eyes upon him by the power of the Holy Spirit who points us to Jesus. And so if you believe in Jesus, if you have been baptized and made one of his own, then you have the Holy Spirit. You have the mind of Christ dwelling in you. Have the mind of Christ among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Not which is one day maybe kind of going to be yours. Not which will be yours if you get 80% or higher on the Jesus test. No, it is yours. By grace, through faith, you are made one of Christ's own, empowered by his spirit to live in this world with his heart and with his mind. If you believe in Jesus, it is a gift you've been given. And it is his gift which empowers us, not our own strength. And to live this out means following the pattern that Paul lays out for us here He wrote, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You want to live out the mind of Christ in this world? You want to follow Jesus? It means humbling yourself. It means that his name is above every name in your life in this world, even yours. It means bowing before him as your Lord. It means confessing that he is Lord and that you are not. It means worshiping him. Bow, confess, worship. All rightful acts of humility. Because the one you bow before is the one you follow. Who do we bow before? Who holds that position in our life? Who or what do we lay ourselves down for? Because if the answer is not Jesus, it's the wrong answer. And as we bow before him, our humility grows because it's a posture that just the the physicality of it acknowledges that we need him. 
And the more we recognize that we need him, the more we will confess who he is, that he is Lord and Savior, who did for us what we could never do for ourselves and who continues to work in us what we could never work in ourselves. You're not going to make yourself more humble. Because then we just take pride in our humility. It's the ongoing pattern. We need him to redeem us. We need him to make us his. We need him to change us. And we need to worship him. Because he alone is worthy of it. You see, friends, when Christ returns, all of creation will see Jesus for who he is. There will be no doubt. All of creation will acknowledge him as Lord. The only question will be, is that declaration one of faithful, humble, obedient self-sacrifice or one of forced, resigned acknowledgement devoid of faith or love? That will be the question. So who do you bow before? Who do you confess? Who do you worship? Everyone worships something. Who is it? Jesus is the Son of God who loved you and gave his life for you and will now empower you to live in this world for his glory. The glory of God is not found in hoarding what we believe to be ours by right, but rather through pouring ourselves out for the sake of others to the glory of the Father. Because in the end, it's all about Jesus. And so we bow, we confess, and we worship him, our humble, perfect king. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do praise you. We give you glory, all of the glory, chiefly for sending your son to come among us, to to live and die and be raised again for us that we might be redeemed and you might be glorified. And so we pray, Father, that you would plant within us by your Holy Spirit that heart of humility, that we might live out the very mind of Christ. And in doing so, eyes would be open to you. That at the end, people would confess Jesus as Lord and Savior out of pure faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.